will do for you, but what together we can do for the freedom of man. These are just a few scenes from the inspiring America the Beautiful show, a coast-to-coast -coast look at the many faces of America. For me, this is the beginning of the American adventure. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 126 for the week of July 5th, 2009. Thank you for tuning in once again, and happy 4th of July. Let me take a quick second, offer my sincerest gratitude to everyone who continues to fight and sacrifice for our freedom here in America. Now, on to this week's show. With the opening of the latest refresh to the Hall of Presidents attraction in the Magic Kingdom, this week I have an exclusive interview with Eric Jacobson, Senior Vice President of Creative Development over at Walt Disney Imagineering. One of the many talents behind the update, he discusses not only the attraction's advances and changes, but his visit to the White House, meeting and recording of President Obama's speech, and so much more. This week's Walt Disney World Wayback Machine takes us back to the 80s when the King of Pop became a Disney character. With the recent passing of Michael Jackson, it's only appropriate that we do a DSI Disney scene investigation of Captain EO, the extinct Epcot attraction in which he was the title character. We'll look at its origins, the incredible talents who brought it to life, its story, music, and eventual departure from the parks. I'll announce the winner of our last Where in the World Have You Heard This contest and give you new clues for this week's contest for a chance to win a new WDW Radio shirt and more. I'll play more of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Since opening day on October 1971, the Hall of Presidents in Liberty Square in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom has paid tribute to the great men who have served as President of the United States. A magnificent and timeless attraction, it is both patriotic and emotional, and now one of Walt Disney World's most technologically advanced as it reopens July 4th with our newest President and so much more. Joining me today to discuss the attraction and its latest update is someone who is intimately familiar with its latest incarnation. He is Eric Jacobson, Senior Vice President of Creative Development at Walt Disney Imagineering. 
and one of the many talented people behind the new Hall of Presidents. Eric, welcome to the WDW Radio Show. Thank you. It's great, great to be with you today, Lou. Happy well, Fourth. Same to you, and, and congratulations to you and everybody else on the team uh, on the opening of, of the Hall of Presidents again. Very exciting Thank day, you. I could imagine. Thank you so much. We really appreciate that. Yeah, and you know, before we, we, we talk about the, the current version, it really is important for people to understand and know that the origins of the Hall of President really begin long before Walt Disney World and really with Walt himself, right? Oh, that's absolutely right. You know, Walt's, one of Walt's dreams was to create a lifelike human figure after the success of the Enchanted Tiki Room. And he got that a chance when he uh, decided to do the, the State of Illinois Pavilion for the 1964-65 New York World's Fair. So they debuted Mr. Lincoln there. He then subsequently moved to Disneyland, where he's been playing uh, on and off ever since. And Walt had the idea that was so successful. Let me, I would, wouldn't it be great to do a stage show with all the presidents? So the idea of the Hall of Presidents was originally conceived for Disneyland. It never was realized there, and of course, Walt Disney passed away. But the designers that designed Walt Disney World wanted to include it um, in the attract, uh, list of attractions here. So it opened October 1st, 1971, as I think you already mentioned, and it's been a, a Magic Kingdom classic ever since. Right, and it was really last updated back in 2001. Now we're getting our real first major change since back 1993 when they did the script change and, and Maya Angelou narration. Uh, you had, uh, obviously, an incredible opportunity not only to work on the attraction update, but you got to visit the White House for President Obama's recording of the speech. Describe that experience a little bit. Oh, it, was, it was a great experience. I mean, just going to the White House for en in any capacity, even as a tourist, is an awesome experience. But being a VIP guest to come and meet the president, explain what we wanted to do with Hall of Presidents and what Hall of Presidents was, and show him what our show was going to be, and then record his voice, both taking the oath of office and giving an inspirational speech that we wrote for the show, was just amazing. And we got a great VIP tour behind the scenes of the White House and spent you know the better part of the day there. The staff there was, was great. They were so helpful. But just, of course, meeting any president is amazing, and meeting Barack Obama was was particularly amazing. So we had, a, we had a great, great time, and it's a great result. It's perfect for our show. I can imagine. And there's actually a video on the White House website that I'll, I'll link to this, this week. And one thing I noticed in the video that I thought was interesting, that you got to discuss with the president what the audio animatronics figure are. And you also gave him or you showed him a book that Imagineering prepared. What was in that book, and what did you explain to the president about his figure? Well, we didn't get actually did not get a chance to ask him if he had ever been to Walt Disney World or to see the Hall of Presidents. So we went, and we didn't know that going in. And I'm sure, still not quite sure what the answer to that question is. But we wanted to be prepared to explain to him what his role was going to be. So we put together a very brief book, mostly of pictures, very few words, that explained what Liberty Square was as in the Magic Kingdom and what the Hall of Presidents was, and then a little bit of history about the show, showing Blaine Gibson, the Disney legendary sculptor, sculptor who has done every presidential bust up until Barack Obama, and that uh, honor was given to Valerie Edwards, who's, uh, who's trained under Blaine and is now our chief sculptor in Imagineering. So we explained to him how the figures are sculpted, how they're created, and what their role in the show would be, and then, in particular, what his role in the show would be. And I think, as you saw in the White House piece, uh, he was impressed with the sculptures, and and said at the end after we showed him what he was going to look like, he said, "You know, you may be, you may be better looking." <laughs> so, so he was. And we had a very brief time with him. It wasn't very long, but it was it was plenty plenty long enough. And he was nothing but gracious and very helpful for us. Right, and ever since the opening of the original Hall of Presidents back in '71, 
accuracy has always been of paramount importance and not just again for the, the current 44th president, but everyone before him. Tell us a little bit about what was done from a research perspective to ensure the accuracy of President Obama. Yeah, well, we we um, contacted his uh, members of the White House staff through some of our internal, uh, you know, connection people that that knew people at the White House. Also, talk and talked to these people to make sure that we got his wardrobe right, his um, so- the size of his clothing right, of course, which is part of the wardrobe. We sculpted the duplicate wedding ring to match the one. You know, these days, day and age, it's so much easier to go online and find things like that that we didn't have to quite do as much. Um, in-person research, as we might have in the past, say, when we did Ronald Reagan or other people like that. Um, but we really did talk to a lot of people and re- research what would be appropriate. And the outfit that he is wearing, or the suit that he's wearing, I should say, um, in this uh, presentation is actually inspired by the suit that he met the day that we met him at the White House. Wow. And, you know, in addition to the accuracy of the clothing and the jewelry and, and whatnot, he also really represents... A, a big leap forward in the advancement of audio animatronic figures and that his facial features and his mouth articulations are at a level really never before seen, correct? Yes, that's right. Well, we took this figure to the next level. It's not a completely new figure. There are a lot of components in it that uh, that we have used in the past. But as you mentioned, the facial expression um, was very important to us because, as um, everybody knows, it's a pretty obvious statement, but most people see President Obama on television larger than life at least once a day, if not two, three, four, five times a day. So everybody knows what he looks like. And so it was, it was obvious, enough that we didn't, if obvious to us if we didn't get that exactly right or as right as we could that we'd be criticized and people would say, that there's something wrong. They may not be able to put their finger on it, but uh, there's something quite right, which is obviously not a big, as big a challenge with somebody like President Lincoln who no one, um, at least alive today, has seen speak. So uh, we have a lot more liberty there. But Obama, we really retired, so we installed extra functions and extra movements in his face to ensure that lifelike quality. Right. Now, while he obviously did not record his own voice for the first time, we also get to hear from our very first president, George Washington, for the first time in the Hall of Presidents. Um, Tell us a little about the, the choice to have George Washington speak. Yeah, well, we decided that it would be great to focus on the because this, the new the, well because the new focus of the show is about the bond between the president and the people, and that they are one of us. We thought that taking the oath, which is the one thing that every president throughout history has done um, at the beginning of their term of office, we thought that was a great moment to have the very first president of the United States talk about. And this is, and it was a, a quote we used from Washington about what an uh, you know what a momentous occasion. Uh, that was for him to recite these um, these few words, and that every president after him has done that, and then offer the oath to Barack Obama and have President Obama take the oath of office on our state. So it's really a, a joining of the you know the first president to the latest president, and really felt like a good opportunity and something also to su- surprise our Disney fans because President Washington has always stood and sat down in our double. We never gave him a, give him a voice, so now he has a voice. It's just a little bit of extra Disney magic in the show. Right, and he was actually voiced by actor David Morse, who played Washington in the John Adams miniseries, correct? That's right. That's a detail that our, our you know, political um, and people that, that love to watch uh, patriotic and political movies uh, will notice, but we thought, you know, for this generation, that's probably the most prominent voice of George Washington, so why not go with that and make that work? Um, and, you know, also, the voice, now that we're on that, the voice of Abraham Lincoln is actually Royal Dano, who 
did that recording for, uh, as part of the series of recordings he did for the New York World's Fair. So that's an original voice from that was directed, actually, by Walt Disney himself. Obviously, one of the other changes to the Hall of Presidents has been the change in the title. Now it's the Hall of Presidents, a Celebrations of Liberty Leaders. Tell us about the changes that necessitated the change in the title and really the change in the story itself. Sure. Well, you know, Celebrations of Liberty Leaders, we really felt that the Hall of Presidents sounds like a place, and it really is a, it is a place, but it, we thought it, we should really say, if we celebrate the idea that the Hall of Presidents is the physical place you go, and the show itself is a celebration of Liberty's leaders, and we've really now made the storyline, as I might have mentioned a little bit before, about uh, the, the bond between the president and the people, and how the president is one of us, that anybody, and that any American citizen can aspire to be the president, and it's actually possible. You don't have to be aristocracy. You don't have to be of royal lineage. They are one of us, and they're one of the people. And the bond between the president and the people is so important, and that's how it has been throughout time, and it stands today. So that's really how we refocus the show. Absolutely. And there's plenty more to see. There's uh, a new narrator in Morgan Freeman, a new soundtrack, new effects, uh, new HD video. Obviously, the, the Hall of Presidents officially opens appropriately on July 4th. Eric Jacobson, I want to congratulate you and the entire team of Imagineers who brought history to life once again. Thank you so much. It's great to talk to you. And as I said before, happy 4th of July to you and all your uh, listeners. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Once again, the Hall of Presidents is not to be missed, not just for its historical significance and real educational opportunities, but for the technological marvel that it is, and more than anything else, the inspiring and celebratory message that it conveys. My thanks and congratulations go out once again to Eric Jacobson, Senior Vice President of Creative Development at Walt Disney Imagineering, and everybody over at WDI for their accomplishments on the latest version of Hall of Presidents opening July 4th, 2009 in Liberty Square in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. Considers us a bunch of losers. But we're gonna do it right this time because we're the best. Captain, there's something weird out there! Well, so far so good, Captain EO. Why To bring a gift to your homies. To someone as beautiful as you. Let me see this gift. Not only see your highness, but hear. With the recent untimely and obviously very tragic death of pop superstar Michael Jackson, my thoughts after hearing the news quickly turned to Michael Jackson's Disney connection. And in addition to being known for his love of Disney and the Disney theme parks around the world, having visited them regularly, his ties to the park go much, much deeper. For Michael Jackson was an integral part of one of Walt Disney World's and Disneyland's, some of the other parks around the world, most unique expensive and extravagant shows ever for michael jackson the king of pop was also michael jackson galactic hero in and as captain eo so this week to pay tribute to him and a show that are both missed by many many people we're going to hop aboard the wayback machine and do a dsi disney scene investigation of captain eo and joining me this week is a man who admits that his favorite character is still 
fuzzball it's Glenn Whalen from passamaquati.blog.com <laughs> hello Lou yes I got my uh, my fuzzball right here on my desk with me <laughs> your fuzzball plush mint condition fuzzball 1986 plush. yes <laughs> it might be the actual one from the movie actually <laughs> right <laughs> and you know it's funny because I want to talk about some of the merchandise later on and I'd be really creeped out if you did have a fuzzball on your desk <laughs> so I, I want to sort of set the way back machine not to 1986 when Captain, Captain EO opened up in the Imagination Pavilion at Epcot but I want to go back a little bit earlier I want to go back really to 1984 because this is really the important part in sort of the history of Captain EO looking back then obviously Michael Jackson truly I mean no matter what your musical tastes are he is the king of pop you know, Thriller comes out in 82. I think it's still, and even more so now, the best-selling album ever. Still on the charts. Um, 83, he has all kinds of other stuff going on. The Moonwalk debuts, of which I am um, infamous for, for duplicating. Um, 84, he does his victory tour. I mean, Glenn, clearly the guy is on top of the world. On top of the world. And, and creating everything from... Movie short movie videos for Thriller, and uh, I think the Thriller video appeared in '83, uh, which would obviously have a great effect on the Captain EO video that was to come. He was on top of the world. Uh, people had folders with him walking around school, and I when don't. You say I people, think, you can say you. It's okay. <laughs> I, I just don't think that the way the world works right now, we could have anybody that would have. Uh, such a stranglehold on the world in the way it works today. I, I agree. And I think even more so, you know, and I know this is heresy to some people, even more so than Elvis and the Beatles. I mean, he reached heights that have never before seen. And I think you're right. We will never see anybody, any single individual, do what Michael Jackson has done. And, and his death now and sort of the reaction to it very much evidences that. I mean, because right. he spans so many generations in his music. Again, despite whatever your taste may be, is relatively timeless. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And we we didn't have the internet back then. He his uh, popularity grew through word of mouth, through magazines, etc. In a just a different world, and he took over the television basically. And he, I mean, he took over pop culture. And right. I, I mean, it was not me, of course, but I know that there were guys that had the red leather thriller jacket and. You know, the glove. Again, not me. Right. I did. I did. All right, I had it. So this is why I didn't date again <laughs> in high school. But that's sort of how far... Re I mean, the guy, his music video started a pop culture phenomenon. Oh, yeah. I mean, I used to dress like that a long time ago. Uh, I used to dress just like him. <clears throat> but I guess it was like um, May when I stopped. <laughs> so I'm over that now. <laughs> the next meet of the month... I would pay top dollar to have you come in a Michael Jackson jacket, just so you know. So, But again, tying it back to Disney, I mean, he was very well known for being a huge Disney fan. Um, right. You know, he, he went to the parks. I mean, there was, there was rumors about him wanting to have attractions built at Neverland. Uh, and he, you know, wanted to sort of be a part of that. And that's sort of how it started to happen. He had seen the technology, this, this 3D technology, and was asked, you know, would you want to be in an attraction possibly for Disneyland? And he says, yes. But here he says, saying, well, I, I would, but I want George Lucas to be a part of it. And he actually said in a, in a making of video, 
that he wanted George Lucas there to protect him. You know, Michael Jackson is a Disney aficionado. Knows more about Walt Disney than anybody that ever existed. Certainly knows more than I do. And uh, we called up and we said, Michael, would you like to do something with the parts? He said, definitely, but only if you can get George Lucas to protect me. He knew very well he was a brand. And he was becoming, the, the brand was being solidified definitely in that time period. Um, from Beat It through... Uh, bad was probably when he really did create his persona that 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 will live for for another 50 years right and again it being 1984 from a disney business side of things huge changes going on Uh, now michael eisner comes over from paramount frank wells comes over for warner brothers obviously they're movie studios so they're bringing that movie experience to the disney company to the disney theme parks and all of a sudden, it, it makes sense. You've got this this pop superstar. You've got George Lucas, who is already working with Disney. And now for the first time, they're looking to merge the two. And I mean, you know, I'm th- I was thinking back, Glenn, really kind of the first time they decide to bring a huge monster superstar to star in one of their attractions. I mean, unless you could have count Tex Ritter as Big Al. I can't, I couldn't really think of anybody else. Well, I mean, the, the the closest I can think of was when they first opened Disneyland and having Fess Parker be available to the parks, which would be, as, but they obviously didn't have a 3D version of Fess Parker roaming around. He was just there for the openings. Right. And again, on such a, a different scale. And, and Michael right. Jackson, yeah, I'm sorry, Michael Eisner decides, look, he sees the appeal of, of Michael Jackson beyond just kids, beyond just teenagers. Uh, and with the success of sort of a mini movie that Thriller was, remember when Thriller debuted, it was like a 15-minute right. movie. He says, well, this is perfect. We can now make this 3D music extended mini movie video. We've right. got George Lucas. And now who else do you bring in? You've got George Lucas to produce. You bring in Francis Ford Coppola to direct. Francis Ford, you know, Apocalypse Now, Godfather to direct. Right. Uh, It's interesting because, I mean, there was actually some talk of of Spielberg being involved. At the time, uh, Lucas and Spielberg were very close. uh, But uh, being unavailable, they went over to Francis Ford, who, who actually just a year before directed The Cotton Club, which was a musical in itself so almost seemed more appropriate to to direct, be directing a music video right and most people don't think of coppola as the music you know somebody who has directed a musical before but he has right. and, and he's done not just cotton club but some other films as well that involve musical numbers correct um finian's rainbow was actually something he was involved with way back in the uh in the 60s I have it on Blu-ray. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, again, it's, you know, the right time, the perfect place. You've got, you know, two years to put this together. You've got this incredible new 3D technology with George Lucas. You know, you've got Disney Imagineering putting it together. And it premieres in September on the 12th, 1986 at Epcot's Imagination Pavilion. Six days later, it premieres in Disneyland at the Magic Eye Theater, uh, again to, you know, unheralded kind of 
ways of doing this before. Actually, they I know in Disneyland, when they premiered it, wasn't it open for like 36 hours straight just so they accommodate, you know, fans? Yes. Yeah, I think, but I believe that the theater was smaller out there as well, and they built the theater. It was an external theater, if I remember correctly, out in Disneyland, and they had to build the theater from scratch uh, out in Disneyland, and they built it right in front of um, the Space Mountain, whereas in Epcot Center, it was replacing the pre-existing theater where Magic Journeys was. Right. And when you're talking about the building, anyway, we're, we're talking about the superstars that we have in here. Now, mind you, we've got Michael Jackson, you've got Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas. Uh, you also have the Supreme Leader, is played by Angelica Houston, you know, Angelica Academy Houston. Award winner. You've got the score written by James Horner. Um, again, right. you've got other songs written um, by Michael Jackson. It's presented by Kodak. Obviously, that adds up, and it, you, right. you end up definitely you end up with a 17-minute show that costs 17 million dollars to produce. Put it in context: a million dollars a minute, the <laughs> same cost of co- that it was to open Disneyland. Back in 1955. Oh yeah, and that that star power result. These people don't mean too much to a lot of people nowadays, other than Michael Jackson. Uh, I think Angelica Houston just the, the previous year had won an Oscar for Prissy's Honor, uh, but she's probably best known to people today for her role in, as Morticia Adams in the Adams Family movies. But to to me, I I always think of her as the role in Spinal Tap because she's the artist who creates the small model of Stonehenge. So that's always what, what sticks out for me with Angelica Houston. Again, it's funny how people sort of make, you know, make the relationships uh, as to how they, uh, you know, for some people, Cotton Club is what they remember um, Francis Ford Coppola for. But yeah, again, right. you've got this and it shows the, the trust and the confidence that everybody has in this. The most expensive per minute film ever to be produced a film that was only going to end up being shown in four places around the world ever. I mean, that's just, you know, goes to show how much reliance they had on on what the success was going to be. And, and obviously they were right. I mean, sort of also, too, in the wake of the popularity of the Star Wars films, I mean, still sort of capitalizing on that love of the, you know, the rebirth of, of the science fiction genre. Oh, yeah. The, well, I think the, 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 the film is influenced by many things most obviously the star wars trilogy there's scenes in it that might as well be from the star wars film i mean it it opens up with a trench battle (laughs) very similar to some stuff that happened in return of the jedi and in the first star wars film Uh, but there's also a influence from that that thriller uh, movie from three years earlier that 15 minute movie you were discussing it's structured very similarly where the first half of the movie is not musical the first half of the movie is about this um, this ragtag group of misfits looking to improve the reputation by saving the world. And then it breaks into a music video, very similar to how Thriller was structured. Absolutely. And we'll talk about other influences that Captain EO had on other things that are, that are very, very obvious, especially to other science fiction fans as we start talking about the story. But you, you're, you mentioned the characters. And it's a good point to place to sort of start talking about them because, in addition to Captain EO, who was decked out in his uh, in his white jacket and which, of which I had, you know, the white with the shiny studs. I'm sure you did <laughs> right, as well. Right. Yes. Uh, there were some other 
very interesting characters that were brought into the to the Disney theme park. I mean, think sort of how they brought in Figment. Now you're bringing in Hooter, the little green elephant that has sort of sort of burps musical notes <laughs> through yeah. his trunk. Uh, Fuzzball is an orange monkey with wings who very figured very prominently in a lot of the 3D effects. Right. Um, Major and Minor Domo, who were were robots, uh, right? And Geeks was a um, was an interesting sort of two faced, two headed thing headed. with three feet, and one was kind of bitter and it was Itty and Odie, and uh, <laughs> very very interesting. Like you said, ragtag group of characters, right? And if these characters do seem a little odd, a little offbeat, that is certainly not by coincidence because they were designed in large part. By Joe Rohde from Imagineering, who, as we know, is, and I mean this with all due respect and compliments to him, is a little odd and offbeat and designed things like the Adventurers Club, designed things like Expedition Everest. So you can see sort of that tie back to that creative element from somebody like him. One of the other characters that that is notable is Commander Bog, and only because he was his face and his voice was that of Dick Sean and right. many, many years ago, very somewhat famous entertainer. Yeah, so somebody who I will always remember from It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. He was the guy who was always crying for his mother in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. <laughs> but I'm sure that goes over the head of most of our <laughs> most of our listeners as what is that thing? But that's a that was Dick Sean and he figures prominently into the 3D as well because his entire existence in this film is as a hologram. So they used his head to float over in, over the audience, once again, as one of the major 3D effects in there. Right. And then clearly one of the most important, one of the most impressive characters um, on the alien planet is the Supreme Leader, which is, is obviously Angelica Houston. A- and she, Glenn, you know, a little creepy. Um, she kind of looks like... H.R. Geiger's alien and the mm-hmm. Borg Queen had a child. Right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and very much influencing, for those of you who are, who are Star Trek Next Generation fans, I mean, she is the Borg Queen. Is the Borg Queen, right. I mean, there's I no was, sort yeah. of, right, I mean, there, there's no, you can She's see. She's connected what, to the ship through through all these wires and cables, and uh, yeah, it's exactly what I thought, and I didn't wasn't going to bring it up, but I always had, I was always a little attracted to it. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Going down a really scary path. <laughs> no, I just meant I always find you know I was I was always amazed at the end that um, they find the beauty within, and I was actually kind of hoping for the finding the beauty that's already there. So, uh, so <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so you know, Glenn, the more we we sort of go deeper into the mind of Glenn Whalen and his love of Angelica Houston. <laughs> it's okay. I think Divine in Animal Kingdom is, is really hot and she's a plant. So yeah, there we that, go. that's speaking volumes about the two of us. But you know, let's talk about the characters. And you mentioned quickly about sort of how this mini movie progressed. And, you know, it's, it's not like a, obviously a full two hour movie. You know, you can't, you don't have time to sort of get to know these characters, get a vested interest in them. Um, but they're sort of thrown into into danger right off the bat. I mean, here the characters are, you're introduced to them, they're thrown into danger right off the bat, but you very quickly start to, you know, I think they try and make you sympathize with the characters and make you sort of get a connection to characters so you can feel that, you know, you want to have that connection to them and you, you in, in a very sort of simple plot kind of way, you're rooting for them right away. 
The next challenge was designing characters so vulnerable, so childlike, so playful, that inserting them into this obviously threatening environment would create instant visual tension. Well, they set them up as uh, misfits. It's the island of misfit toys. Everybody is, they're just immediately showing that these are people that don't receive respect. And they always seem to do everything wrong. And you get that built in just from their dialogue. And so, you, of course, you always want the underdog to, to win. Right. And it, um, when, the, when the attraction first debuted back uh, in 86, they actually had a making of television show starring Whoopi Goldberg, who really sort of took you through the entire process. And one thing that I found really interesting, and again, it goes to show you the level of depth and detail, is not just how very, very hands-on George Lucas was with every little detail, but when it came time to uh, have Michael Jackson, that is, meet the characters, he had him sitting at a table on a soundstage, and he had the individual actors who were portraying the characters come and meet him as if he was interviewing them for a job and sort of talk to them, not in costume, but as they were the geeks and as he was Hooter and as they were Fuzzball. And it was a very interesting dynamic watching him talk to them, sort of imagining them. And again, it's not just, it wasn't just, okay, you guys throw the costume on, let's go film this thing. I mean, it was really right. handled like it was a full-blown movie production. And that's very cool. And it's very, once again, telling about about how much uh, power Michael Jackson had at that time because that scene probably wouldn't be so interesting if if it wasn't Michael Jackson, if you weren't watching Michael Jackson be introduced to by these characters. Right. With Francis Ford Coppola standing behind him and George Lucas waiting in the wings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, and all it's all relative. So, But let's talk about the story. You started talking about it a little bit. Why don't you tell sort of synopsize the story of, of what Captain EO is all about? But once again, they, these misfits are looking to improve their reputation. They're given jobs. They're obviously not being trusted with their jobs. And uh, they again and again escape problems through last second, you know, last second luck or uh, just a lucky escape. But with when when with a uh, the ability to rock the house they are just the perfect people to overcome the evil supreme leader so in the end it's it's eo's optimistic attitude and his ability to shoot transformative lasers from his hands <laughs> that that allows him to change the world this sort of morality play about the power of music i guess is the message right? uh, that that it tries to convey in, in 17 minutes right the the power to uh find unlock the beauty that is within is his gift to the world right and and the we are here to change the world is sort of the the main um the main song in the uh, in the production it, it sort of closes out with another part of me which ends up going on being the most popular song actually hitting number one on the on the r&b single chart go figure. right um, An interesting uh, parallel is actually to another film that Michael Jackson was in was The Wiz, where at the end of The Wiz, the the uh, the evil queen's minions go through a very similar transformation when they're shown the beauty within and they unzip from their their horrible uh, outer exteriors and become beautiful people again. So yeah, the, these two songs that are written for this 
theme park attraction. Another part of me goes to number one. That that was on on bad. We are here to change the world. Uh, actually, gets released in two thousand four as part of the Ultimate Collection uh, Michael Jackson album. Both are still available on Amazon to this day, and and are being downloaded by the millions on iTunes every <laughs> on every iTunes, week. Right. Yeah, I think they said after Michael Jackson's passing, like two point three million downloads of his songs took place in a week's time and no song ever had been downloaded uh, more than a million times in a week so again going to show you sort of the uh, um, the lasting effect that it had but going back to the um, to the film real quick one of the things obviously most important about the film was the use of the 3D technology and the special effects and at the time Glenn I remember seeing this and being completely blown away. Mind you, I'm a huge Michael Jackson fan. I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm totally into it. I'm a tech geek. But I remember the technology and the, the effects being synced up with the film. And it was really almost that 4D thing because there was smoke. Right. And there was lights and lasers all in the theater itself. Yeah, I, I thought that EO definitely expanded on where Magic Journeys left off. That uh, Where... Magic Journeys was like a creepy, surreal 3D experience. It wasn't a story, but rather a collection of images that was exploited, that that 3D technology that they perfected by doubling the speed of the cameras. So EO expanded on that, and they were making a standard short film utilizing the 3D technology only to support the story, though. Long segments of the film would go by without any of the in-your-face 3D tricks, but there were plenty of those. Yeah, there was actually $6 million worth of special <laughs> effects. They say that there was about 150 individual special effects used for the film. And again, like you said before, clearly that, that trench-like sequence um, on the alien planet, very mm-hmm. evidencing uh, the Star Wars influence. There was actually another scene, I remember, too, uh, when the ship crashes on the planet. If you, right. if you think back to the old 20s, Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers kind of thing. That's exactly what it looked like. And again, we know George Lucas borrowed a lot of that for Star Wars, and I sort of right. saw that as well. Um, but then you turn it around, the ship was very Borg-like, Star Trek reference, mm-hmm. before there was a Borg. I mean, clearly the Borg... Somebody somebody in Star Trek looked at this and said, hey, you know what? This is not a bad idea. That's not bad, <laughs> yeah. We can go somewhere with this. Right, and when that, when that ship does crash, it crashes... And in an unreal way, crashes right up to the edge of the screen, and the front rows of the theaters are filled with the smoke from that crashed vehicle. Once again, going back into your 4D uh, technology. Right, and I think that, like for me, from just a kid loving the, the the sci-fi stuff, that's one of the things that impressed me so much. Was this was a revolutionary kind of 3D show again far leap from magic journeys in many many ways right definitely so let's talk about you know it it didn't i don't remember it exiting you directly into a gift shop but you mentioned your little fuzzball plush and (laughs) you know i'm trying to remember back to how much of any merchandise there was i remember seeing posters but there were there were uh there were plushes that were made, weren't there? And there was um, there were plushes made, uh, especially a fuzzball. I think fuzzball, which I don't know if he really was the most prominent one in the film. I was always I always liked um, Hooter because he was uh, resembled the one of the musicians from the Star Wars films. The right. <laughs> he 
it was like very similar. So, but he, I don't. Th- I he always stuck out to me. But I think it was still Fuzzball that was their one they were trying to sell. Right, and, and again, there was a lot of the the smaller things. And I think now, looking on eBay, you know, you're going to see much more prominent right. of them. Uh, I actually have a Captain EO poster warehoused away somewhere in New Jersey, okay. but I know that there's one up there somewhere. Right. Um, again, and I think I think there's a lot of keychains and magnets and smaller things that were just the logo. Right. That's what I seem to remember a lot of. Right. Like there was no Captain E. Like they didn't sell like a soundtrack um, from the film or anything like that afterwards. Um, I'm trying to even remember like T-shirts and stuff like that. Um, I have to check my Michael Jackson box at home and see if I, I mean next to the right. Yes. leather jacket see if I have yeah, a t-shirt right. <laughs> so. I do remember walking out of the theater going into the gift shop looking to see if they had a uh, soundtrack to the film the, not only for the another part of me and change the world but also for the James Horner music which I was always I've always been a fan of movie music and James Horner would go on to win the Oscar for Titanic etc so it had a great rousing score underneath it right so now do you remember when you first saw it, or do you remember going to the parks and seeing Captain EO as a young lad that you were? Yes, I remember. I, I lived in South Florida at the time, so when it was getting ready to open, even though we did not have the internet, we did get news of it opening. So it was something we would actually say, we need to go up to Disney again to see this new attraction. So by the time it did get to open, it was almost like the objective to going there. And what was it that you think attracted you? Was it because you had the you know the the shiny glove, or did you love Michael Jackson? Was it just the new attraction, or were you was it the sci-fi geek in you that wanted to see it? Oh well, I personally loved that being the sci-fi geek was probably the reason I needed to see it. George Lucas being attached, and the promise of laser beams around the theater, all that stuff was to be able to be inside of a Star Wars type film. That was probably the excitement to me. But I can't deny that Michael Jackson once again was had such a stranglehold on pop culture that it was like you almost had to go see it to continue your understanding of of Michael Jackson. Right. And and the attraction, obviously, very, very, very popular um, on both coasts uh, for many, many years uh, after it debuted. I mean, I remember there always being lines for Captain EO. um, But, you know, alas, all good things come to an end. And... (laughs) You know, the crowds start to dissipate, um, and I don't know if it's because it becomes less relevant, um, if it's because the, the the movie attractions maybe become less popular, you know, don't retain their popularity the same way as ride-based attractions do. Um, obviously, early 90s, Michael Jackson has some legal issues, you know, although he was never charged with anything, reputation certainly suffered uh, for it as well. Um, I mean, what do you think, Glenn, sort of led to the, the pulling of, of the Captain EO film? I, I believe a lot, a, a mix of all those things. Uh, the, the First of all, the promise of, of promoting another Disney uh, product by going to, into the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids franchise also gave something that they could put in place that they had time to plan while they had Michael Jackson. But the I think the legal issues became something they wanted to quickly downplay the connection just in case there turned out to be any truth to um, negative publicity he was receiving. Stuff that definitely would have 
hurt the Disney brand. Right. So on July 6th, 1994, uh, it leaves uh, Epcot. Um, Years later, it leaves Disneyland. It also plays and eventually in 96 leaves Tokyo Disneyland. The final place that it played was in uh, Euro Disney, Disneyland, Paris, whatever you want to call it, in August of 1998. Um, Since the death of Michael Jackson on the 25th of June 2009, you know, Glenn, all of a sudden, now that we do have the internet, there is this renewed interest in Captain EO, and you see people (laughs) talking about it, you know, oh, I hear Disney's going to bring it back for a special one-week thing, (laughs) or Disney should bring it back, um... Obviously, I think we probably both agree that it, it's not going to happen for, for oh so many reasons, nor do I think it should. I, nor do I think, you know, I'm not sure, and this is a question for you, do you think that if you were to put Captain EO back as is, as it was, you know, back in the mid-80s, would it still hold up, taking out the, the sort of, you know, the emotional attachment we have to Michael Jackson right now because of how close his death is? I think the only thing that holds up in the film is Michael Jackson. I don't think the film itself holds up very well. Uh, the the effects are are looking back at them now. They're very dated, and anytime you try to look at the future, that could become dated very quickly. And some of the effects in it uh, would that used to be cool would now probably just get snickered at. Right. Uh, some of the effects, some of the 3D effects are just like very questionable why they would do that um one in particular is preparing for the finale michael flies up in the air to shoot his lasers at the evil uh supreme leader and his feet are hanging over the audience and it was it you know it's just baffling that 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 angle was considered it was such a strange a strange shot a lot of that stuff would be almost laughable but but the power of Michael Jackson definitely still works, even you know, even if you're looking at it on YouTube. Right, right, and I th- and I agree with you because looking back, and I watched the film a number of times in preparation for this segment. You know, if you look back to the first song, "We Are Here to Change the World," it's very it screams '80s, and it actually reminded yes. me. And go with me here. It reminded me of a scene. Do you remember the old Buck Rogers in the 25th century show? Of course, show yes, yes. With Gil Gerard and Aaron Gray. When they looked forward at some of the, the musical numbers, and that's what it looked like. You know, it was a very 80s sort of thing. I think uh, another part of me, the song itself still holds up. Although, like you said, I think quickly getting past the nostalgia of the Captain EO film and the love of Michael Jackson, um, you know, I think... I think people's desire to have back something that's not there anymore um, might yeah. be somewhat misplaced. Um, yeah. You know, but like the love of a good woman, Glenn, you, you don't know <laughs> what you have until it's gone. So. <laughs> <laughs> Captain EO, the Adventures Club. But um, I, I mean, it's just it, it's interesting. And, and I think it's uh, it's neat that so many more people now are almost being reintroduced to Captain EO who are Michael Jackson fans. Um, Disney fans maybe got a, never got a chance to see it. Um that's why I wanted to highlight it this week. And there's, again, a link to some videos up on YouTube because you can find the entire 17-minute um, film up out there. Very nice. So, Glenn, I, I appreciate you taking a trip on the Wayback Machine with me um, to the 80s. Uh, time to hang up the Cavaricis and the, and the parachute pants and, and everything else like that. Uh, you know, but real quick, because we're talking about 
Um, a, a great movie from the 80s, at least at the time when we saw it. But there's something else that you've been working on um, that I wanted to tell people about that I just think is the coolest thing ever. And it, it, it sort of ties into not just great movies, but, but some pretty darn good ones as well. <laughs> well, if we're going to talk about that, let me take off this glove. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so uh, I, obviously what you're talking about is uh, the Pretty Good Movie Ride, which is uh, the website that I just put out that is uh, filled with um, video montages that have been recreated, lovingly recreated from the existing Great Movie Ride stuff. Uh, so the ending montages from the Great Movie Ride, they're all represented there in, in wonderful video quality for anybody to watch and experience again. You are not a good salesman for yourself. I let me describe the pretty good movie ride. First, let, let's go back for a second because okay, months ago you told me you say you know Lou, I, I guess you were bored. I, I guess you've watched everything that Netflix has in its catalog, and you say you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to recreate the entire <laughs> ending montage of the great movie ride. And I says, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to take from DVDs, scene by scene, frame by frame exactly where it's placed on the screen and I'm going to recreate it because I want to share it with people other than just the choppy, grainy, ugly YouTube versions that are out there. And I say, okay, well, that just evidences the fact of your insanity because you had done something like that, like that once before when you recreated the old Magic of Disney animation film, which Correct. at the time I thought was both beautiful and spectacular <laughs> and borderline insane. And then when you said, I'm going to do the great movie ride, you're going to do the pre-show, but you also say, well, I'm going to do the original 89 version, I'm going to do the 99 version, and I'm also going to do the 20th anniversary version. My admiration and fear of you um, increased exponentially. <laughs> and those, when you put those together, uh, again, you said lovingly, and, and clearly you love the film, you love movies, you love the great movie ride. It's amazing what you put together, and it gives us a new appreciation for it. But the Pretty Good Movie Ride, I will tell you, far and away, is the greatest, funniest thing I have ever seen. And I'd love to just <laughs> say a couple of things that you did, but I don't want to spoil it for everybody because some of the reveals that you do through there are just so wonderful, and they are so funny, and they are just so appropriate that I, I tell you to stop listening to this podcast Go over to prettygoodmovieride.com. I will link to it in the show notes. Um, and check out what Glenn has done. Um, because it is... Um, it is the And share it with others. Share the link and share the videos with others. Because it, it is, I guarantee, the funniest thing that you've seen. And you can really put a lot of time and a lot of love into it. So I, I thank you on behalf of all the people that are going to get to enjoy what you did. Um, simply because you love doing it. Thank you, Lou. That was that's very nice. And and the pretty good movie ride was me just saying to myself, "What if I had the opportunity to make that ending montage myself for for a different generation?" So and so yeah, it does have a lot of sly sense of humor in it, etc. But uh, and you do promote it a lot better than I do. So. Well, and I will tell you that I've watched it no less than ten times because you need to. You need to go back because there's so much. There's such cool stuff that you're putting there. So, again, it's prettygoodmovieride.com. Also, go and check out Glenn's other 
scary window into his mind over at passamaquati.blog.com because you have your own sort of tribute to Captain EO going on over there. <laughs> Very different than what we did here, but um, yes. a lot of fun going on over at Passamaquati as well. So, Glenn, thanks again for, uh, for, for taking the time on the Wayback Machine with me and, and doing the DSI with Captain EO. Thank you, buddy. Time to announce the winner of our last Where in the World Have You Heard This contest. Two shows ago, I played five sound clips from Walt Disney World shows or attractions or around the park or the resorts and asked you to identify them in order, testing not how much you know, but how much you listen. And the response was tremendous. You guys did not only an amazing job, but so, so many of you responded. I hope that means that you're enjoying these type of contests. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play back the sound clips as I played them last time, and then I'll tell you exactly what those five clips were in order. And someone to watch over to keep her out of trouble all the time. Purple and blue from Twilight Hours. Test sequence is downloading and we're clear for dispatch. Okay, let's move them ahead for test one. After years of stumbling around, we launch a new idea. Our first safe highway, water. You will be on board Body Pro Bravo 229er. Your mission will take you to the location of that splinter. So I tried not to make these too difficult, and judging by how many correct answers I received, it looks like I achieved my goal. So here you go. In order, they were The Voyage of the Little Mermaid over at Disney's Hollywood Studios. The second was the original Journey into Imagination. You'll obviously recognize the Dreamfinder's voice. Third was the pre-show for Test Track in Epcot's Future World. Number four, an extinct attraction, World of Motion. You may recognize the voice of Gary Owens. Um, some of you may remember him. He was the, the announcer over back at Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In in the late 60s, early 70s. And finally, another extinct attraction, also from Epcot, Body Wars. So again, a lot of correct answers. I took all of them, put them into the pool, randomly selected one, and this week's winner is Jenna Whitcomb. She's Mickey's number one fan over at the WDW Radio Forums. Congratulations, Jenna. I will be sending out you out a new WDW Radio Show t-shirt and a little bonus prize just because. But what I thought I would do was another Where in the World Have You Heard This contest. You guys gave me a lot of feedback this past week. Seemed to really enjoy these. So what I'll do once again is I'll play five random sound clips. All you need to do is email me at lou at wdwradio.com with your five answers in order, as well as your address and your shirt size, because you'll have a chance to win a new blue WDW Radio Show t-shirt. And I'm also going to throw in an audio guide to Walt Disney World 
Main Street USA as I'm getting ready to release Fantasyland. I thought I'd give you a head start and give you the Main Street guide as well. Now, a lot of you also asked, and I will give you two weeks to enter this week's contest. So you're going to have until 11.59 p.m. on Saturday, July 19th to email me your answers. Again, your shirt size, your address uh, to Lou at WDWRadio.com. So here you go. Here are your new five clues for this week's contest. Give me a depth reading by the mark. By the mark. On September 17th, 1787, a new constitution to govern the American colonies was signed at Independence Hall. Why, both of you, you're going to ruin Ma's birthday. No, no, ain't nothing going to ruin today. We're all together. That's what counts. So there you go. Don't think these are too difficult. As you can tell, there's a definite theme, an appropriately timed theme running through all these clues. That should probably help give you a head start. Hope you're enjoying these contests. So good luck and have fun. That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Big thanks. First, go to my guest, Eric Jacobson, Senior Vice President of Creative Development over at Walt Disney Imagineering for taking time out of his day to discuss some of the changes to the Hall of Presidents attraction. I'll put some links to some additional information, videos, and photos of the Hall of Presidents in this week's show notes. Also, thanks to Glenn Whalen for hopping aboard the Wayback Machine this week. Go visit Glenn's website over at passamaquati.blog.com and definitely head on over to his new site, prettygoodmovieride.com. Speaking of videos, thanks again to Glenn for his help with the latest video I just released, Catching You Breathless, where we take a ride and explore Breathless 2 at the Yacht Club Marina. I have another video coming this week. Again, always keep your eyes out for new videos on the site, in iTunes, in YouTube, and again, in your feed if you subscribe to the show. Lots more overlooked experiences, so much more coming Again, I hope you guys are enjoying these videos. Speaking of thanks, huge monster thanks have to go out to Robert Scoble. He's a tech blogger, internet superstar. He recently interviewed me about taking my passion for Walt Disney World kind of to the next level. If you don't know who Robert is, he's not just a blogger. He is a true technology evangelist. He's also an author. He's worked for Microsoft, Fast Company Magazine, Rackspace, Building 43, so much more. I had the pleasure of meeting and visiting with Robert when I was in California last week where he shot a video of the interview. Uh, We talk about sort of my journey from the kid who loved Disney World to what I'm doing today. Uh, The complete video can be found on Robert's amazing blog, which I definitely recommend you check out anyway, which is scobalizer.com. I'll put links to that in the show notes. You can also follow Robert on Twitter and friend feed as well. And speaking of my recent trip to California, an amazing, amazing trip that started off with my tour, thanks to D23, of the Walt Disney Studios 
and the Walt Disney Archives, I promise you I have some amazing, incredible media to share with you that I will be rolling out in the next few days or weeks. Definitely stay tuned. I have audio, video, photos, so much more to discuss about my experience there. Uh, truly, truly an amazing once-in-a-lifetime event. Uh, my, my thanks and applause goes out to D23 for putting that together. Um, I know I was not the only one who had such an amazing time. And yes, I promise you, I will recount the events that took place that day for you on the show. Also on that trip, I went up to San Francisco. Uh, during that time, I had a meet over at Giardelli Square near Fisherman's Wharf. I want to say thank you to everybody that took time out of their day, out of their weekend, braved all the traffic, came on over, said hi. We hung out for about three, three and a half hours or so, just, again, talking Disney and having a good time. And I really, really do appreciate all of you coming out and saying hi. Uh, it was great to meet a whole bunch of new friends and new faces from the West Coast. So so thank you again for that. Uh, speaking of meets and meets of the month, I do have some finalized dates and times for upcoming meets of the month. And I know for the last couple of weeks, I was saying tentatively that July's meet of the month was going to be Saturday the 11th. I unfortunately have to change that uh, because of some other commitments. So the new meet of the month is going to be Saturday, July 25th. But it's going to be a little bit different than past meets for a couple of reasons. First of all, we're not going to meet this time inside a theme park. Instead, we're going to go over to Disney's Boardwalk in front of Seashore Suites. So there's no theme park admission required. So if you are uh, on your vacation, don't want to use maybe a day for your pass, or you only have a, a one-day non-hopper pass or a seasonal pass and you're blacked out for whatever reason, you don't have to worry about that. We're going to meet outside the theme park over at the Boardwalk. Also, we're going to meet a little bit later in the day than usual. We're going to meet about 6.30 p.m. This way we can hang out maybe for a couple of hours, likely head on over to Epcot if people want to, to catch Illuminations at 9. Afterwards, who knows, uh, depending on who's there, what everybody wants to do. Maybe we'll head back to the boardwalk to wander around, maybe grab some beaches and cream, maybe even hit jelly rolls. Who knows? Uh, I'm going to put links in the show notes to the event page on Facebook, also to the uh, forums over at wdwradio.com. I'd love to let us know that you're coming. No RSVP required. But again, um, if, if you are coming, please come by either Facebook or the forums. Let me know that you're going to try and make it. The next meet in August is definitely going to be Saturday, August 29th. And I talked about on the show over the last couple of weeks, uh, I, I tossed around the idea about maybe doing a WDW Radio Day at a Water Park. So we said, why not? Maybe let's have one of our meets of the month there. And what I'm trying to do now is put together a day over at Blizzard Beach. I'm going to try and secure some discount admission tickets, some other things as well. Stay tuned for more details. But no matter what, we will definitely be having the meet of the month on that day somewhere. And if we can do Blizzard Beach, maybe follow up with some miniature golf over at Winter Summerland. Who knows? Again, working on details now. September's meet is going to be Saturday, September 26th, probably. That's the weekend of the Adventurers Club meet, the Expedition Everest Challenge, Food and Wine Festival. A lot of fun, a lot of stuff going on that week. Um, and October's is probably going to be Saturday the 24th or Sunday the 25th. That is the weekend of the Tower of Terror 13K. Again, more details as we get closer to that. Other meets coming up. Don't forget, Saturday, August 15th, I'm going to be up in Seattle for the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet for more information and to get tickets they are selling out fast you can go to pnwmousemeet.com 
Disneyanimation.com. A lot of stuff going on there. There's a Disney Anna show and sale, speakers, pin trading, a whole lot more. Again, links to that in the show notes, pnwmousemeat.com. Uh, also, forgot about giving thanks to everybody that came by the WDW Radio live chat this past Friday night. Really had a good time with everybody. Uh, we hung out again till about 1.40 in the morning. We started at 8 o'clock p.m. I appreciate everybody coming by. Sorry for those of you that once again had problems with, with logging into the chat via Ustream. I'm working with them to try and find out exactly what is going on. I know you were able to watch the video, couldn't participate in the chat. Uh, again, I apologize for that sort of uh, technical glitch on the Ustream end. We are working on getting those uh, worked out. But again, everybody that came out and hung out had such a good time. Um, and again, I will be doing those as often as possible. I'm trying to do them once a month if I can. Definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, I'm running long, so I'm going to wrap things up. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. You can go visit Becky and her team over at mousefantravel.com. Don't forget to come by. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash lumangelo, and over on Facebook and the Facebook and the WDW Radio fan page on Facebook. Again, links to all this stuff right at wdwradio.com. As always, guys, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Review the show in iTunes. Come say hi on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter. Join the forums at WDW Radio. And of course, my friends, thank you again, as always, for taking the time out of your week to listen, for all the support. It means so very, very much to me. So until next time, remember, always, always keep moving forward. Follow your dreams. Have a great week, everybody. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Sharon from the suburbs of Cleveland. I just um, heard the interview of um, you and Robert Scoble, and it was just inspiring. It was great to hear you um, being interviewed, and it was wonderful. Um, there was so much about it that was um, just so much great of explanation of how you got into this um, um, great business of yours. And... I came up with the thought that it would be great for you to interview your wife because behind a great man is also a great woman. And to have moved from New Jersey into that area and to um, just get involved with this, I'm sure it takes a lot of work and time. And it would be wonderful just to hear her thoughts about how you've got started to um, the time that's um, required from you and um, just everything about with the family um, would be wonderful to hear about. Um, that would be great. And um, it is so great to, um, even for my husband to say that um, he just supports and encourages my excitement for Disney. And um, it's a uh, pleasure to hear what information you give us so that I can relate to it my family and be excited about it. So thank you so much, and take care. Bye-bye. Hi, Lou. This is Catherine from Illinois. I'm 16, and... This is Catherine's dad, also from Illinois. I'm a Disney marathoner, and we're both great big fans of the show, and we're calling you after a fantastic day in the Magic Kingdom that uh, ended with uh, a ride on Dumbo while the fireworks were going off. It was amazing. Uh, I want to tell you about yesterday we had this really great encounter. 
um, at Epcot in Italy. We were at um, the match shop, and we met Giorgio, and I don't know if you remember her, but you probably do. You interviewed him before. Um, he's a mask painter, and um, he was really cool. I bought a mask from him, and he signed it and everything. And he said he hasn't talked to you in a while, and he wanted to say hello. So this is hello from Giorgio, from Catherine, and Catherine's dad. Um, uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to tell you about that. Also, we had lunch at Norway, the Princess Storybook Lunch, which was really great. I would really recommend it. All right. Um, we took your advice, and we looked up and around all the time, and it made our trip just that much better, more magical. It was really great. Um, yeah. Big fans of the show, Lou. We really appreciate the good work you're doing. I listen to those podcasts on my long runs, and Catherine listens to them when she's doing her chores because she does her chores really well. Anyway, we had a magical weekend. Like we said, it's partly due to you and the hard work that you do. Keep it up, Lou. We love your show. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Brad White from Maslin, Ohio, and we are here at Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom today. And today the Pirates League opened and my son Reagan was involved, and while we were there, they were actually filming a piece with the Disney Moms panel. So while we were there, they didn't actually have all the things that um, they normally do for the Little Pirates because they were filming and taking audio and video, so they were nice enough to actually compass our visit. So my son got made up as a pirate. He got his own pirate name and his sword and his face painted, and he got a nice medallion and a neat picture in a secret room that they wouldn't let us take any pictures in. So on your next research trip, you'll have to check out the secret pirate room. All right, Lou, we enjoy the show, and we will be anxious to hear your updates to come. Have a great day. Hey, Lou and fellow listeners. Um, I was at the Hall of Presidents Passholder preview yesterday, and I have to say Barack Obama looks really good with all the other presidents. Um, I thought you might want to know. Have a good show. Hey, Lou, this is Chad from Minneapolis. Uh, I just listened to your character show and thought you guys forgot about one very uh, cool way to see the characters, and that's by running either the half or the full marathon. And I actually ran the Goofy's Challenge in January, and after running the half marathon and seeing all the characters out, I decided to grab my camera and took it with me during the full, and once I got shots with 25 to 30 different characters, including Jack Sparrow and the pirate ship, um, and the engineers with the train, just a lot of cool characters, and um, Mickey and Donald and Goofy were dressed up in the colonial uh, wear in, Ma- in the Magic Kingdom, and just very, very cool pictures, and a very special moment, I've ran nine marathons, and um, definitely treasure those pictures more than, more than most. Uh, so just thought that was one very cool way to see the characters and highly recommend it uh, to anybody that has um, feelings to run. Uh, grab your camera, go out for the race, and just enjoy the time uh, getting with the characters. Thanks, Lou. Uh, appreciate all you do. Bye. Happy 4th, Lou. It's um, about 8 o'clock. Um, get to the parks earlier like you suggested, and I get to park in Pluto, row 11 this time. Have a good 4th, and see you around. Hey, Lou, this is Bronson Grooms from Lebanon, Indiana. I just wanted to call and tell you I really enjoyed this last show. 
I've been rolling with laughter the entire time. Uh, the picture that you gave of Tim Foster in a Speedo, though, no, no, not so much. Anyhow, I just wanted to say thanks again. I really appreciate it. And I also agree with you, Tim was stretching on several of his uh, top ten places to get wet. Have a great day, and uh, just keep moving. Thanks a lot. Hey, Lou, this is Glenn from Alabama. Loving the show, as always. Just listen to the segment on the uh, group of uh, the large family that went. And uh, I went down in March with a group of nine, and so many of their points were right on target. And uh, to reemphasize the, the importance of taking a day or two um, off or to spend by yourself is so important. I made the itinerary. I was the, I was the, the planning geek for the family. And really, nobody acted like they really wanted to go along with my plans. But once we got down there, since we were the only ones that had two small children, everybody wanted to be with us so they could see the reaction on the children's faces. So we ended up all being together every day except one. And for the most part, the experience was was uh, very tiresome. Um, and that one day, though, where we all kind of did our own thing just ended up being probably was the best day of the week. It was in the Magic Kingdom. We were able to get there early. We didn't have to wait on everybody else to get up and get ready. We got there when the park opened. We were able to enjoy the first hour um, with with very, very few people, very, very small crowds that uh, that morning. So definitely if you're going with a group of large people, get um, take a day or two off and, and do things um, alone or, or just, just your, your immediate family. Um, but thanks a lot for that segment. It brought back a lot of memories for me, and I uh, really enjoy it as always. Thanks. Good morning, Lou. This is Todd from Jersey, Dark Image 4 on the forums, even though I'm not quite a proficient, uh, prolific poster as many uh, if you lurk around. Um, I'm calling because I'm driving right now at 3.30 in the morning. It's Friday, my last day of work before heading down to the place we all like to call our home, Walt Disney World. My wife and I will be driving down starting on Sunday, and it seems to me that one of the great things that this show does for its listeners is a way for you, Lou, to share a little bit of the magic while you're there and just kind of keep people, you know, thinking about it, have that little bit of magic in their lives while you're around, even if they don't have a trip coming up anytime soon to hear about the newest thing. Um, and what I thought I would do, because I'm doing it for some of my friends anyhow, and you do it already, so I'm kind of taking a hint from you, Lou. I will be using Twitter to do updates from our long drive down from New Jersey down to uh, the Orlando area on this Sunday, starting very early in the morning, probably around 2 o'clock in the morning. We're hitting the road and not looking back for at least 10 days, and we'll be twittering all the way down, um, probably some pictures here and there, updates on our progress, and then while we're in the world, just a picture here and there, maybe um, a Twitter update, just to kind of give a little something and share. It's kind of in the interest of people wanting to live vicariously through other people's trips when they don't have one that's right around the corner, and I know I, love, I like reading your updates and seeing the pictures. And I'm sure as many of you will do that too. So, again, in the interest of uh, living vicariously through others and sharing a little bit of the magic that we will be update uh, that we will be experiencing, um, I would like to invite 
listeners to follow me on Twitter. Dark Image 4 is my name on Twitter. And again, I will be posting as often as possible. I'm not going to be quite so crazy, but, you know, when something interesting happens, I'll take a picture and I'll send it out there just to kind of share. And, um, again, this probably be, if it makes the podcast, it'll be on this Sunday. We'll probably already be most of the way down there, and you can read back the backstory of our trip, the drive, and we'll be there for 10 days, two different resorts, Boardwalk and Beach Club, and um, we'd like to share. Or at least I know I'd like to share. And if anyone again wants to follow uh, follow what's going on, Dark Image 4 at Twitter. And Lou, hope to meet you on this trip. Hope you're down and around. And, uh, we get to meet you and shake your hand because we love what you do. The podcast is awesome. Um, we use the books all the time for many, just, you know, a quiz here and there as we drive. And it's fun to keep rereading because sometimes you just need that little fix. Um, we'll talk to you all soon. And uh, as they say in Disney World, have a magical day. Bye. Hello there, Lou, and all the other listeners. Um, it's Josh, and everyone, get up from using that wrinkle remover, and it's time to listen to the WZW Visitor Tips. I'm only going to do one tip this week. Um, tip number 49. Uh, for all, you can only do this if you're staying at a Disney resort. So moderate, deluxe, value. Otherwise, if you're just uh, coming there for the day, you can't do this. Extra magic hours. You can just... Um, they're either going to open up the park an hour early to all the resort guests or keep the park open up to three hours late. So anywhere up to three hours. Um, one, It's one of the parks every single night. You're going to have to get on their calendar on uh, Disney disneyworld.go.com. Something. I don't know. A lot of dots. Um, anyway, uh, you can just walk on rides. Uh, I did that. I walked on Pirates of the Caribbean four times. Um, otherwise, if you want to not have that much of a wait, go during Spectrum Magic or Wishes, if you've already seen that. And uh, that concludes this week's tips. I will continue to do these. I hope you guys enjoy them. Uh, I want everyone to have a uh, good experience at Disney World. And everyone, I leave you with this.